Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the CM Mentors Podcast. My name is Matt Graves. My co-host each week is Kyle Grandel. What's up, Kyle? Hey, Matt. Thanks for the welcome, and thanks for tuning in, everybody. Looking forward to another good session here. we got a great guest. I'm excited to talk with John here and uh, see how this goes. So let's do it. Yeah, so CM Mentors Podcast, we bring on some industry-leading professionals to kind of help us uh, mentor the next generation of construction professionals. And um, this week, we've got... Uh, a, a cool guest. I met him just free, uh, recently and he kind of explained what he's doing. I was like, man, well, I got to get you on the podcast and kind of share the world with what you got going on. So this week's guest is John Farner. What's going on, John? Hey, how you doing? Thanks, guys. I appreciate y'all having me on. So John is the the founder of Empowering Subcontractors, which um, John was a GC. Let him give a bio in a second. But John was a GC, um, basically his whole career. And now he's he's seen a lot of stuff ways subcontractors can do their job better. And um, from the GC's perspective. And I think, at least me personally, I came from the subcontractor world before I came to the owner's rep side. And uh, Kyle was a subcontractor as well too. So I think this will be a, a fun conversation. And I do gotta say, Kyle, it's took me enough weeks, but I finally have my my mug with me. Oh man, you outdid me today. I just got a caribou coffee mug. Oh. And, this is the, and this is the stupid mug that you sent me. Oh, the special edition, everybody. Special if mug. you can see this, you got to tune in. And Matt, I'd like you to read that for our listening audience. I, I can't read it. It's backwards on my screen. But I think it says... It's actually elect- not, by the way. <laughs> Electricians are my favorite trade. So you heard, that, you heard that here, folks. So, John, we've been... I came from like... I've came from a bunch of different trades. And I call an electrician by trade. So, um, anyway... I always give him grief about being an electrician. So before we get started, I guess we'll have to ask you, John, what's your favorite trade? Uh, my favorite trade. Um, I, I'm a big concrete guy. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I like the concrete work. That was always the uh, the one that I found uh, got the most interest. And you can see, and you know, part of it is you can see the progress, you know, move along so fast. And, you know, you poured that wall today and these columns tomorrow and a slab and, and up you go. And, uh, yeah, it's always with my, my most exciting part. No, you can definitely see progress fast because, like, you know, I, I came from a mechanical and plumbing before and college electrician, yeah. and it's just like for weeks and months, you're just racking pipe and pulling conduit. And it's like, right. when's this yeah. ever going to end? Like, nothing ever changes, doesn't feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And from a general contractor perspective, it's like there's an empty conduit there. Why is that empty when the rest <laughs> of the, well, that's just a spare one. And then you come back two weeks later, and it's like, it wasn't a spare one because it's got wire in it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and John, I just have to say, I can totally see your perspective to it. And at least from my thoughts are the, the concrete world is, I'm going to say that the, the least understood, it seems like. And yeah. people don't understand what really goes into that. Unless, unless they've had to do it themselves and work closely right. with those that do. So I can right. definitely appreciate your side of that. Yeah. Electricians yeah. are still better, but, you know. <laughs> I, yeah, you heard what he said about the conduit. It's always a spare tool. You're like, wait a second. You're like, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, there's a term for that. We, I mean, um, we actually call it show conduit. So you, you just basically start, start, start throwing conduit in the air so that when the owner walks around the site, they see progress. And like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that wire pole later. Don't worry about you, it. It'll be fine. Yeah, and then you can bill out 90% because you got a whole bunch of stuff hanging up. You know, like. Right, right, right. right. So this episode is live streaming on YouTube. So for the guests that are on YouTube, uh, feel free to ask questions, put it in the chat box, and if, uh, we'll make it fun and entertaining. So John, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and bio for everybody who doesn't know you? Yeah, yeah sure enough. So uh, my mom and dad, uh, 
I grew up in a, in a family-owned subcontracting business, which is why I have probably more empathy for subcontractors than you might find from a lot of other uh, project managers, general contractors. But uh, and so I remember all of that tug of war between you know my mom and dad having these you know the cash flow things, and you think you're doing really well on projects, and then the insurance bills come in, and as you know from running your own company, Kyle, that it's like ah. And, uh, and so the more you work, the more you got to pay for that, you know, and it's like, wait, the more I work, it should be, but it doesn't work that way. And so, uh, so working as a general contractor and getting out of school and starting in 1985 in Nashville, uh, in that market, um, I got the chance to do a lot of great projects and work with a lot of great subcontractors. And over the years, I've found that the subcontractor struggle normally isn't in the field work. Uh, you know, they've got to be successful in the field work or they don't get you know, you don't get any work, but you know, this, the paperwork side of it, the, the coordination side, the project management side, the procurement side is always seems to be somewhat of a struggle uh, for most of the subcontractors. And so um, as, I, as I got later in my career and started trying to think about what I want the last 20 years to look like, I thought I, I wanted to give something back. And so I created this course to, uh, to try to help. Uh, and, and again, if you raise the bar, the subcontractors, the general contractors have to raise their bar, and everybody's, you know, all three owners, all the stakeholders are, are benefiting. I love it because, you know, I think we talked about this last time we talked, John, but, you know, coming when you're the subcontractor, you kind of got your blinders on, right? I'm kind of worried about my budget, my labor, my material, my thing, my, 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 my. You're kind of worried about that. And you can right. lose you can lose sight of the bigger picture and i really it was kind of really eye-opening when i kind of left subcontractor world to come to the uh owner's rep side because like i haven't i've never worked for a general contractor but i've like been subcontractor looking up at them and now owner's rep kind of looking down at them so i've kind of seen the whole thing but it, it's opened up a whole new perspective for me that of just seeing the big picture of the project and how all the pieces come together which right. when you're in the sub world you just you really kind of tunnel visioned i feel like yeah exactly exactly and it makes the communication part of it uh, so important, uh, you know, because if the general contractor is not communicating clearly to the subcontractors what he's got planned, then you've got a bunch of individual plans working on what's supposed to be a big plan, but nobody's fitting in the puzzle. Everybody's trying to fit their pieces in before the rest of it's built, and, and it just doesn't work that way. So, John, you, you talked about struggle just a minute ago, and then just now you're also talking about some communication type issues or you know, ways, areas for improvement, I guess is the right term nowadays. Um, but uh, in, in your experience, have you seen a difference between working with larger GCs versus working with smaller outfits, um, at least as far, you know, in that regard for you know people coming on board, uh, coming into the industry, maybe what to expect as they get, get into these projects? Yeah. Um so my, my experience has always been with a medium-sized general contractor. Um, but I've competed against, you know, a lot of the larger contractors and, and the feedback that I've always gotten is that with the large general contractors, you have more staff uh, from the general contractor side, which means the more staff you have with Bob versus in a medium-sized, smaller contractor, which could be doing, you know, the same $70, $80 million job but you've got less staff. So there's a more of a control issue, I think, with the smaller, medium-sized general contractor than possibly with the management staff on the other contractor. Because they've, they've all kind of got their, you know, you've got a guy that's in charge of East Wing or in charge of the finishes, or, you know, the young guy that's just got the hardware portion of it, versus you've got a project manager with a medium-sized contractor 
he's got all of it. You know, and he's he's the orchestrator on, on all of it instead of a project executive type level. I think that's one of the biggest differences. Yeah, very interesting. I can definitely agree with that with what I've seen too, because I've been on projects where um, I would say the division of responsibilities is kind of the key driver, right? Whereas, it, like right. you're saying, if they have enough resources to support, um, you know, trade-specific expertise, or maybe they have have assistant supers that are, you know, supporting a certain trade or whatever, kind of dividing yeah. up the workload. That those typically do seem to run a little smoother, at least from the communication standpoint. Yeah. Right. Right. And now with all the, the project management software that's out there, uh, there's so much relying on the fact that everybody sends something out and, you know, through the project management software notification and, and the subcontractors are getting notified and notified and notified on just everything, it seems like. And from this job and this job and this job, and I think they lose track of some of it. And, and so I think that's kind of as great as it is, and I'm a big advocate of project management software, there's just a balance between that, especially going to the subcontractor level, of uh, them not going, oh, it's just another email from X project management software company, and here's another one, oops, I missed the one I should have read, you know. And so I think uh, trying to make sure that communication on the job side is happening is a, is a big key as well. Well, so, so I've been really geeking out on PM software recently as, as our company's growing and we're getting more more lean and getting our processes down. What are some of your favorite software packages or suites that you've used? Yeah, the uh, it's, it's interesting you ask because the the company that I that I just left, uh, we had just purchased Procore, which is you know the the big the big dog and the thing, and uh, it's got so many great features. Uh, and again, you look at you like some of the stuff that Bill Tweet's got out, some of the stuff that LevelSoft's got out, they're, they're all all kind of do the same thing, and they all can be so robust. Uh, and the more you use, the more integrated it is. Um, so I, I, to me, you've got to look at what your budget is. Um, you've got to look at really how the billing is. Uh, is it, you know, your billing? Is it volume? What's it based on? And really make decisions based on and that as much as, because now uh, they all get more advanced to where, you know, you can pull down drawings, you can, you know, you can mark RFIs and send them in. And, and, then, and those are, that's, those probably to me are the best features. Um, you know, they all can distribute contracts. If you want it to do budget, if you want it to do billing. Again, they, they all kind of perform the same thing. So it, to me, it comes down to which one do you like the graphics better and which one do you want to pay for the most. I've gone down a deep rabbit hole of, construction softwares, construction technology in the last probably six, nine, 12 months anyway, as well. Uh, have you, most of them, like we use Procore uh, at work now, and I've used Procore probably for the last eight, nine years. It's been for a yeah. while um, with two, as a subcontractor, and then we switched over to something else, and then now with the owner's rep side. Um, Procore is very, it's a one-size-fits-all package, right? So there's right. a whole bunch of bells and whistles that doesn't apply, especially if you're a subcontractor, um, which because they wanted to they want everybody there they want everybody from the owner the architect the engineers the gc the subs the vendors the blah, you name it they want everybody in there and all using yeah. it so it's built for everybody but have you seen one uh, that's really good tailored for subcontractors that can really help manage a subcontractor's kind of document control and maybe labor and materials and really track all that very well most no, of those guys i see use spreadsheets so <laughs> one that i've been looking at is uh one built one field site, uh, I believe that's that's the one that I was looking at, and it 
it seems to be a lot more um, field oriented uh, and has some more specific modules for subcontracting for specialty trades is, is the way they reference it. And, uh, and so it seems like it's got more of a focus on that on that level uh, to help them communicate. But, but I, you know, the electrical subcontractors and, and mechanical HVC contractors specifically, I think there are some software packages, Kyle, you created the command that are more, even more trade specific um, for that. I know for, in our region, a lot of the electrical contractors use, for example, the same uh, crossing program. Uh, on all of their change orders, they use, and, and I can't, I don't know the name of that, but all of their change orders come in the same format. And so it's like, okay, everybody's got the same, the same thing. So I could argue with each one of them about their price because I knew what the format was going to be in. <laughs> That's funny. So you were to give us a, tell us a little bit about uh, Empowery Subcontractors and it's like a 12 module course, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a master course, uh, 12 modules and, and I actually, uh, I did a little bit of studying on the adult learning methods now that's more out there. And so it's got, uh, each module has, you know, five to six videos, little short uh, videos that I did. And then I've got resources, uh, training guides, uh, some reading resources, exercises. Uh, then at the end of each module is a quiz. you got to pass the quiz before you go to the next module um, kind of format. If you've done the pro core training, it's, it's similar in in that type of uh, thought process. So um, the the ideal being, and, and I, re I read this the other day, it said that if to empower a subcontractor is, you know, giving them the tools, the resources and stuff they need. And, and where that's a true statement, the company has to be strong. Um, if you're going to, to grow a subcontract, you've got to have a good foundation. So I start with the idea of what the, the values and the culture is of the company. Uh, and then, I, then the ideal is to bring each person in the company that goes through the course through the big picture of being a subcontractor or being a business, in fact. Business planning, out estimating, budgeting, cost all work together. Um, I go into some scheduling and then, then more specific into general contracting, how you, how you as a sub and your subcontract are meshed together. Um, and being sure that you understand that, what you're signing up for as a subcontractor, the way the general contractor puts puts a bid package out, uh, what their thought process process is, and all the way into uh, billing, and then just some uh, the last module, which is probably my favorite one, is one that just talks about being set apart, uh, not only as a company, but being set apart as an individual. Uh, you know, and if you get a bunch of a bunch of people in your company that are you know, looking at themselves in the mirror and trying to be better each day, you're going to have a great company. So um, I think it all meshes together and blends up really well. For those listening, if you go to some empowering subcontractors.com, he's got all 12 modules. I'm looking on the screen here. He's got all 12 modules listed out with a little mm -hmm. paragraph of each one. It's a, uh, also I haven't gone through the course, but it's a pretty cool program. It looks like, it's, I mean, he yeah. touches on it all. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which makes it a little bit hard to market because it's like you when you talk to your marketing, like what pain point do you solve? Uh, everyone I can think of. <laughs> I solved the pain of being a subcontractor, which is a bunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think uh, you know when it's funny because I had a had a project and I, I had a roofer 
uh, that we'd hired to do the job, and uh, they were recommended by the architect. And, uh, and so it kind of got the architect got involved, the owner got involved, and, and I was like, I just don't think they're qualified or big enough to do the job. And sure enough, they, they were struggling getting, getting the project done. And so we had, you know, a job meeting, met with them, and we had this great plan of action. And, uh, you know, I had the sub on board. He was going to bring all these people out there that he had in the company for one week to get the project caught up. And sure enough, I had one of my own superintendents go, well, that's all good. But, you know, we'll only, we've only got like 40 more days for the job's going to be done unless we work Saturday thing. And you could just see the, the whole, you know, I have, you know, 12 subcontractors in there. Everybody said, yeah. And the air just goes, it just drops out, you know. And so it's like, yeah. So good subcontractors, uh, you know, try to help them get get through stuff like that, uh, mm -hmm. so they know what they've signed up for was a big part of this. Of this what so do you think? John, that, oh, go ahead. Would you, John? Would you say that there's a um, you know a certain maybe a couple big problems that you were trying to address these modules as far as you know, getting the subcontractors in power. We talked a little bit about communication already. I know that's a big one. That's an MBA yeah. So yeah. Are there anything specific to subs that you were really trying to hit on with these? Yeah, I, I think if, if you had to boil it down, uh, one of the big themes I think that comes through is, is the subcontractor's documentation and the importance to the subcontractor to do their own documentation. You know, whether it's uh, you know, and a good example is, um, you know, your crew's been instructed to get, you know, you're going to start framing on the on the east wing, um, you know, next Thursday. And so everybody's all planning on that. Um, subcontractor shows up to go frame and, the, you know, they're not finished running the ductwork or the car protection pipe. And, you know, and he can't get in to make any headway or any progress. And so, you know, he talks to the general contractor, okay, I'll come back Monday. Well, he comes back Monday and... So it's a slow start, but he doesn't document that. And so, you know, fast forward a month down the road and he's like behind and, uh, and the general contractors, you know, me, you know, I'm screaming at him for being behind and, uh, and he's, and he doesn't have anything to go, well, you know, I was here, but you, you to start and I lost, you know, half a week, you know, and then I had to, you know, and the, the general contractors are like, I don't even remember that, you know? And, uh, and so, now, now the subcontractors have to, you know, put up the overtime, uh, bring in more people or more equipment stuff, and it's costing him money. That you know, in one sense, isn't fair to him. Had he documented, or at least if he had documented it, even if there wasn't any additional money involved in it, it would have got him some, you know, goodwill, you know, to push back a little bit and say, hey, you know, we're going to get it done, but remember, you know. And so I think those are, you know, that's just one little part of it. Um, but that one little part could grow into a big, big deal. And you don't know it's going to be a big deal until it's way down the road. And so, it's, you know, if you can, if you can learn to do that, if they're the field guy, the project manager, just in those simple examples, um, your documentation on change orders, the documentation on stored materials, uh, writing your scope of works with your bid proposals so that it's clear. Um, you know, and then how does that translate to the contract? A bunch of stuff like that is covered in the program that uh, I think all of those are places that subcontractors either have increased scope uh, or they get scope added to them in the field and, and they don't have any any real resources to 
uh, to recover Eagles calls. So I think those are great. I really, I really, I really admire that, John. That's um, something that whenever I see that on projects, it just kind of, kind of just breaks my spirit because yeah. it's it's somebody, somebody that their work and, and their bottom line, and especially as a business owner, I really appreciate this now. Yeah. Um, you know, their bottom line is getting affected because of somebody else's planning problems. Right. And, right. and from the G, from the GC side, I'm going to say that most of the time they don't mean to be passing the buck and they don't mean right. to be the way that they are. But there's so many things going on that you know their heads spin trying to coordinate every single thing that happens during the day. And so, like you said, a week later they've already forgotten yeah. the conversation and forgotten what yeah. happened. So you know, they're not necessarily trying to be to be that way, but it comes across that way, and it ends up affecting the subcontractors sure. and and. They're likely because, like you said, now they have to at their own expense because maybe it was a lump sum bid. They have to bring right. in additional additional manpower. If they start working nights, start working, you know, get those off shift differentials that they're having to eat. So right. I'm right. really, I really like that yeah. part. Yeah, and you know, the other thing I, I kind of tell a little story in the program about this. If um, I've had subcontractors, you know, kind of make a deal with another subcontractor. Uh, to borrow their lift and you know and then come in on the weekend and they borrowed three lifts for the weekend and were able to you know they paid overtime but they didn't have any you know their equipment cost was down to nothing on it so uh you know just to make deals like that on the job site uh, to be a good team player um, all those things are important um, attitude from a subcontractor uh, their whole ideal of their responsibility on the coordination side of it uh, versus the general contractor side, I, you know, I, I think it just goes into a lot of good, uh, a good content to be able to um, broaden their perspective in the view of the job and the view of the, the role that they have. Um, and I think overall, again, that's going to help them uh, be more productive. Uh, and I use the term the preferred subcontractor, uh, because if you, as a general contractor, um, in fact, there's one, there's one, uh, pretty good little video out on, on YouTube uh, where general contractors given the explanation of what makes a good subcontractor and he said it boils down to making me look good and uh, true but the things that you've got to do to make that general contractor look good also benefit you uh, and when you do that you will become you know the guy that I want to call to come do my next job just funny, you're yeah. doing on, on, right now you're taking the night shift to be the guy that they call back again we've talked about that on previous episodes but you know it's funny like it's very rarely does or never i've never seen it where one subcontractor basically wins and makes a bunch of money on the project and the gc loses and all the other subs lose it's kind of an all or nothing thing like you're all right. signed up you're all doing this one thing together and if it goes south everyone's losing or everyone can win so, like, so right you, you got to be a team player with everybody yeah. Um, but going back to your, doc, your your point about documentation, it's a. Uh, I'll preface this by saying it's so important. Like it's so important, and ninety nine percent of the time, it'll never matter until that one time you need it to matter, and it saves you from a lawsuit or something, right? Like right. It's, right. Um, right. But it's also there's also a fine line there too because you want to document enough, but you also don't want to be the subcontractor that's annoying the GC by sending a formal letter every time the wind changes directions, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. there's a fine line of building that relationship and communicating and documenting, but also not wearing them out and just being a, a pain in their ass the whole time. Oh, yeah. too, so. exactly. exactly. And and that and that comes with experience. It also comes with developing the trust factor with the general contractor, you know, the project manager and superintendent that you're working with. 
and, and what makes this business so so weird, uh, for lack of better terms, is you can be you can work with subcontractor A and have a great uh, you know just a great project and work with subcontractor A and have a different superintendent or foreman and it not go so well. And the same thing from the subcontractor standpoint, you can work with general contractor A and it goes great. You work with them again, you got a different superintendent, you know, that's a fly off the handle top superintendent and and the, the personalities don't match and and it's just complete conflict all the time and so uh, that's what makes it kind of strange and and the importance of those soft skills you know can't you know they can't be overstated uh, and we're a, an industry that really doesn't do a lot of work on soft skills you know you can drop an L, drive it you know hit it harder it'll go faster yeah <laughs> It's getting better than it, I think it did whenever I first yeah. came into the industry, but it's, I think there's still a long ways to go. I think especially yeah. in the subcontractor world, because a lot of times too, it's guys come from the trades, right? They didn't come, right. they learned how to install pipe or pull wire and they, you know, they got more done by yelling louder sometimes. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And and it's funny because I've, I've seen so many subcontractors that have started their business, you know, they were working with somebody and they're really, really skilled but they couldn't get along with people. So they started their own business and they still can't get along with people. <laughs> They're great work, but can't get along with anybody. So you work for yourself. No. And uh, unfortunately, it does go that way. We kind of through all this and through, you know, being a general contractor, um, maybe something you already touched on, but you know, what do you think the most difficult thing it is for a sub uh, to learn as a subcontractor? Or like maybe the biggest thing you kind of see keep seeing over and over and over that they keep screwing up they just can't learn <laughs> yeah i think uh, i think it's why does everybody hate the electricians that's the answer <laughs> well you never really yeah, you never finish until the electrician's finished <laughs> hey hey you know what we're always last nobody gives us any time and, and they expect us to pull a miracle what you know we pull the rabbit out of the hat so many times sometime that rabbit's going to be dead okay yeah yeah Same. exactly Exactly. I think I had one job with a mason. Actually, the electrician finished before the mason did, so, which is odd. Uh, but now I think, as odd as this is going to sound, um, I would say some of the biggest struggles really are with the pay requests. Um, it's again, I don't really. I've tried to make those as simple as I can with my subcontractors, but undoubtedly you'll get, you know, a you know, a, a, you'll get them that's got three line items on them when you needed 12, and you'll get the ones that where you had three pages, and you're like, I, I, yeah. You they're going for so, every nut and bolt along the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so you're like, you know, and then I, I think from their standpoint, from subcontractor standpoint, learning how to use your mobilization submittal type line items in your pay application to help you on the front end of a job is also a skill um, because, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're starting out in the hope, uh, you know, if you've not kind of managed some of that front end stuff, stuff correctly on your, on your pay application, but um, keeping, you know, then there's the pay application process of getting it sent in and approved. Uh, then it's the follow-up on the things that keep that pay application from actually being a check handed to you, such as, uh, certificate of insurance is not being kept up to date. Uh, most general contractors have got somebody that's checking that for, for risk management purposes. 
uh, the bonds not been turned in, the subcontracts not been turned back in, uh, you know, different things like that, that all impact that pay application process. So I think those are, are some of the places that um, be more consistent struggle. Well, that's another really good point too. And it kind of goes even go back to the documentation thing here, Matt, of, um, you know, as a subcontractor, depending on how the contract is structured too, you have certain documents you got to turn in for backup just to even get your payment to go through the door. For example, I mean, I've been on, on larger projects where the owner has a open book policy, which means the GCs basically share an open book on everything, where all the cost is, where all the market is. And so what that means is more paperwork, more backup, Every single penny is accounted for in some way. Right. Hell, we had a project where every month we were getting 250 pages of backup to support a single SOV document for a pay app. And it's like, oh my God, we had to hire a cost controller just to go through that stuff because I didn't right. have time to do right. it. Right, right, right. Can you find one of those people on Fiverr to do that? <laughs> <laughs> They'll say they can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so same thing. I don't know how many just over the course of my time i've turned back some uh, pay applications because you know they're billing for offsite material or something which the contract may allow them to do but they have to have photos they have to have you know information on their bonded warehouse all this stuff and month after month that's submitted I'm like okay i need photos like oh crap we'll get them like we talked about this last month <laughs> right right so. right, right. And, and i think some of that stuff you know like if it's a deposit you, you've got to pay the deposit on an elevator uh there's you yeah. just don't get you can argue about the deposit on the floor and you can argue about the deposit on lots of things. Elevators, as a general contractor, you just, you're not going to win because they won't, they won't order the elevator. I mean, it's pretty simple. You know, and there's only, go to the next price. guy and he'll, he'll ask for deposit too. Go to the next guy. He'll, I mean, yeah, exactly. they may yeah. be, Kyle, you may be off the hook. They may be the most hated trade in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, no, no. Don't take that away from me. <laughs> That's funny. Hey Matt, didn't we talk about elevators in a previous podcast? We I did, and actually, okay. Actually, we need to get an elevator guy on here. I got a guy, uh, Chris Gutkeys. I've mentioned him on like, oh, every yeah. podcast, and yeah. I got to get him on here at the same time. Or let me know because I'm gonna like to send chat questions. <laughs> I'll put, I'll get you the uh, the audience link for that one. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of you know, kind of uh, billing for mobilization and upfront costs and those sort of things. As a general contractor, how much would you typically allow? Because obviously you don't want them to get 50% build on mobilization. Right, right. You know, so right. how much is there a percentage threshold you would feel comfortable with? Yeah, and it, it depends on the trade, really. Uh, you know, your mechanical plumbing, you know, is, you're going to look for that to be a little bit higher than probably your flooring guy or your ceiling guy, right? But even your ceiling, your acoustical ceiling guy, you know, if he's got five, $6,000 worth in there of, you know, getting the scalpel ready and getting stuff like that. I'm, you know, and it's again, and I'm thinking it's, you know, a, somewhere around a hundred thousand dollar, eighty thousand, ninety thousand dollar contract. I, I'm not going to worry about that. Uh, you know, and a couple thousand dollars for some middles. Uh, you know, and that doesn't sound like much, but then he's got his bond broke out separate as well. You know, so he's got that upfront cost. Um, but at least that gives him something to feel like, okay, I'm not completely starting up because he's going to show up with a four band crew, you know, and that's, you know, his first two weeks worth of, worth of uh, cost on the job side as well. If you've never worked for a subcontractor, you kind of don't understand what all it takes to get a project up and running too. 
because you do. I mean, it's it can take you months to kind of become cash positive, and sometimes you're chasing it all the way to the end just based on the project and if how your material hits and all that sort of stuff. So it can be tough. Yeah, and you put on top of that that you know that pay application because that certificate of insurance was going to expire in two weeks before the pay, the check was written doesn't get written, and you don't get notified by the general contractor, and you're like, what happened? And then your insurance guy's gone on vacation, you know. <laughs> So all of a sudden you're strung up for you know four more weeks, uh, and unfortunately that that does happen, and it happens a little too often. Well, I've seen it a lot like on projects too, where um, that initial that first month, maybe even the first two months, depending on how things are going, comes in, and yeah, sure enough, the percent complete isn't, and the field isn't quite just what they're charging. But you also got to understand they got materials to order, um, and especially the last couple of years with the pandemic and the supply chain issues oh, yeah. we've had. It's better off to order more right now and make sure you have it rather than trying to trying to deal with getting it off a shelf somewhere that's in some other state that may or may not even have it stocked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's uh I mean there's different rules too. I mean the private world is obviously more of a free for all, but when you get in the public space, you know, there's a lot of rules on what you can build for, what you can't build for. You know, it's gotta be right. on the job site, it's gotta be this, it's gotta be that. Um, you know, just based on the different entities and different laws out there. So it's, I guess, as a subcontractor, you better know if it's a public project, private project, and kind of adjust your game right. plan accordingly. Right, right, exactly. And, uh, you know, the deposit's a big question on that, usually the public jobs. Uh, the university work that I've done, they're not going to pay you for a deposit. So you, you can't turn anything in that has the word deposit on it. Even the elevator ain't expecting it paid. So, you know, you're going to, as a general contractor, you know you're going to be, uh, you're going to be out that that money up front, so mm -hmm. you've got to figure that out. You know, if you're going in as well, and if you're the subcontractor that meets the deposit, you got to figure that out uh, as well. Well, and kind of to that to that point, I would think that it's really important to pick your partnerships wisely as well. You know, which GCs you partner with and do a lot of work with, because you know they're they're either going to support you and go to bat for you, or they're going to say, hey tough love here you sign the contract and now get the job done and you're gonna have to you know, front load this project yourself and figure it out right right you're exactly right and and one of the things that concerns me from talking with several subs is the general contractors you know it's kind of changing uh because there is so much work that um you know i remember when i got thrown into my first project right my first project was um uh, an amusement ride at at the old Opryland Park. It's not there anymore. There's a mall there, but uh, but it was doing foundation. So it was really only about five, six trades involved. Versus now, you know, some of the younger project managers uh, with with very limited experience are getting put into some positions with some pretty major size projects. You know, with full scope trades, and and they they don't have the experience. You know, to know how to Okay, how do you massage that a little bit to be sure that you're going to bat for your subs is a really good way to look at it. Because they don't they don't have the experience yet to know how bad they're gonna need those subs to pull them out of the fire at some point in time. And uh, so you you know you better you need to help while you can because you're gonna need it on the backside. Let's flip the script a second. We've been talking a lot about how subcontractors can do better. What can a general contractor do to be better, or even an owner, owner's rep, or whoever, anybody sort of, I guess, above the subcontractor in the hierarchy? What can they do better to be more empathetic for subs and kind of help work with them? 
I, I think it goes back to to the project planning uh, when it comes down to it. I, I think the the best thing the GC can do is spend the time uh, early in the job bringing his you know key subcontractors in and letting them know what the big picture is, and then really trying to stay somewhat close to your you know your initial schedule to your baseline schedule. Um, obviously, it's going to fluctuate some, but but trying to keep at least the same sequence of work, um, if it's continued to make sense, that is. Um, but then when you have, um, when you're getting close to um, building drying, for example, you're ready to start the, the drywall guy, have those, have those many meetings that have got those three or four uh, subcontractors that are all involved in the exterior skin and getting the building dried in. Um, have those meetings in early enough to talk about the details, um, who's going to go first, what, who's got what flashing, and make sure all that's worked out up front before you've got three trades on site and all of a sudden so you had that flashing that tied the ethos into the windows. Uh, and everybody's like, I excluded it, I excluded it. And then, you know, then then there's a delay in work that's going to impact three trades and the general contract. So I, I think from general contract, and, and I, as a director of operations, I really, really stress this a lot was have those meetings, um, you know, everybody, you can do them Zoom and, you know, depending on if contractors are all out of the region, it makes sense, but make sure that you have a good agenda, uh, make sure you have, you know, the stuff you can look at from the drawing standpoint with the shop drawings and um, and get into that detail. Um, I used to have a saying that, yeah, I'm not gonna be the smartest guy in the room when it comes to the glass, the drywall, the ethos, and all, you know, that's why I've hired subcontractors. They're the experts. But when I understand what the plan is and how we're going to do it, then everybody's going to understand. And if everybody understands, then, you know, we're going to kind of, you know, execute uh, in a really efficient manner. And, that, and, that's, and that's been true project after project. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really great. You're bringing in a lot of stuff there that, I mean, to, to me, the first place I go to is lean, lean construction. So having yeah, those meetings, yeah. those, those phase planning meetings, having those uh, those discussions, those daily huddles, the, you know, our, our look ahead meetings, looking forward yeah. and always keeping everybody in the loop too. The collaborative part is, is so important on these projects, especially nowadays, because they are complex. I mean, yes, they are. Uh, and it's, only, it's only gotten more complex because as you said, John, there's it's almost like there's uh, even, even more more sections of subs that are being brought in because everybody has different specialities. Right, right, exactly, exactly. You know, one of my favorite superintendents, general contractor superintendents that I've worked with, um, you know, he'd be at the job like at 5 a.m., 5.30 in the morning, and he would walk the job, and this was a pretty good sized job, but he would walk it with a notepad and make notes of what progress everybody else, you know, everybody had done. When some contractor came in and said, no, I've got that finished. I mean, no, no, it's not finished. You know, he knew exactly where everybody was. And when he had his huddle meeting that morning and he would, he would do a couple of trades together and then some, maybe a single trade and very rarely did he do everybody all together. Uh, but he would bring in, you know, two people working in the same area, talk through what they needed to do, go to the next guy and the next guy, next guy, and, and just had everything lined out and, you know, and had it all on a whiteboard, you know, all on a, a race board written down. And everybody knew where everybody was, but he had individually talked to each one of them, manpower, quality, cleanup, you know, whatever the issue was, 
progress complete next grade, you know, all the way down the line. It was probably one of the most, uh, again, it was a lot of work for him, right? Mm -hmm. It's still probably one of the best run projects that I've been part of. I love that idea of having smaller huddles, right? Because, you know, I've been in subcontractor meetings where it's every subcontractor. And, you know, if I'm a mechanical and plumbing subcontractor, I don't really care what they're doing on the concrete out there on the outside, you know, outside doing the sidewalks, right? right. But when they bring everybody in, you got to go through it all. And the sidewalk guy and landscape guy doesn't care about the electrician being laid on his stuff. So right. Right. Uh, having those little as they work together, maybe all the MEPs together and then the, you know, the exterior guys together and how they right. interface together. I, I like that idea. Right. But the electricians involved in all of those areas. <laughs> they, they are. <laughs> hey, somebody's got to keep everybody else in line and on schedule. You the way it says. So before we wrap up here, is there any, like, if you were to give a few points, like, you know, three or four maybe points to really, because this whole podcast is really about kind of giving back to the next generation. Right. And so with the, you know, we haven't really talked a lot about subcontractors as much. So if, and that's a whole another ball game that doesn't really apply, you know, to owners, reps, and all this sort of stuff. But if you could give three or four really good, tangible points, maybe for kind of the next generation of subcontractors, um, yeah. What would you say? Yeah, yeah. I would say that, um, you know, because they, they have the subcontractor has learned the trade. Uh, that's that's usually, you know, rarely are you going to find a subcontractor that's not come up through the field and learn the trade uh, with electrician. Uh, HVAC guy, drywall guy, so on and so forth. So, learn the trade, but also work on your work on your own self awareness, on your own communication skills. Um, you know those soft skills. Um, don't just kind of get you a game plan on where you want to be when your back gets tired and your you know knees are hurting from you know being down on the concrete putting flooring down. You know. Kind of, you know, get you a game plan on what you want your career to look like, and then build build on that. Uh, because I think a lot of our trades are still uh, what I've seen with a lot of the young guys that start out. Uh, they don't have a vision of where they can go in their industry. And now, the wages have really, really done a lot better. Uh, you can build a career. You can build success. And, and get that vision early uh, so that you can build on, on having a future in it. Um, I, I, I joke with young guys all the time and say, look, if you'll pass a drug test and show up every day, one day you'll look around and you'll realize you're in charge. <laughs> Just by default. <laughs> so, so, That's uh, funny. Yeah, but have a vision, you know, for, for where you can go with That's I mean, I found that with everything I've done, it's just consistency compounds so fast. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes it is just showing up or just trying to do a little bit better every day. You, yeah. you can get a long way. It's real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Really can. So. Well, and I find the vision part's really important for me. It helps keep me motivated, keeps me excited. And I mean, there's just, there's stuff that we all have to do in our jobs that's not exciting, that it's yeah. kind of boring and maybe we're not interested in, but having the vision can really get you through those right. periods. That, you know that roller coaster of stuff that's just dragging on you it's sucking all the energy out of you get you through to the end of the day so hopefully tomorrow's a little more a little more fun and exciting yeah exactly exactly yeah. well john before we wrap up is there anything else you'd like to add or anything we think you need to let the people know that we haven't talked about 
Uh, I appreciate you guys having me. I mean, I would, you know, obviously give the, the big punchline, go to the website, you know, give me a call, do all that good stuff. But, you know, uh, that goes without saying. Uh, I just, I really want the, it's, it's, the industry's been so good to me. Uh, and I've made, you know, just not only, you know, financially, I've done well with it, but the relationships that I've built uh, over the years have just been, you know, really, really transformative. Uh, for lack of a better term, there's been people that's influenced and invested in me. And um, and I think as all of us kind of, again, I'm, I'm going to be 62. I'm still got another 20 plus years good to go, I think. So, uh, and I want those, uh, I really want to see this next generation uh, because they get the next, this generation gets such a bad rap, um, I think. And and I know the, the young folks that work for me, I said, no, 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 back up. These are some quality, quality people. And so um, I think we just need to continue to promote that and, and help lift them up. Cool, man. So, John, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? You can find me at empoweringsubcontractors.com. Uh, you can check check out there, or uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well and instant message me from that. And um, yeah, if you talk to anybody about any of the stuff we talked about. Cool, man. I appreciate you joining us, John. Anything else, Kyle? Yeah, no, I, I just want to I, I kind of, uh, you know, reiterate John's last point there. And, and there are some studies done about um, how, how managers and upper-level support their teams. And I, and I forget exactly what it was, but it was something along the lines that if, if you, um, you kind of set somebody up for success, they have a much higher chance of succeeding. Um, and, yeah. and you can almost, you can almost kind of fool somebody into being successful. Uh, fool is the wrong word, but um, and so I think it's just, it's just it's offering that support. It's, it's having that culture. If we go full circle back to the very beginning here, it's that culture of, of the company that can really help drive that. And especially next generations too, set them up for success. And guess what? They, they will be successful. There's just it, it's just a different world, and, and it's, it's going to continue to change. So right. changing fast. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But no, I'm love having you on. It was so much fun. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, I'll see guys. you soon. All right, appreciate it, guys.